And that was Dada Man. You're with Julian on the Brownlow and a re- retrospective review of the movie Jacob's Ladder. And I watched it on Friday night and I deeply regretted doing so. <laughs> because it was like I was sitting, I just wanted something nice to watch on a Friday night. And it was like a combination of Requiem for a Dream and Uncut Gems. It's like this horrendously intense, unrelentingly depressing nightmare. <laughs> so, so glad when it was over. The director Adrian Lin's got a really uh, fascinating filmography of a lot of films that are analogous to each other in certain ways. Maybe not uh, his first big hit, Flashdance, but Nine and a Half Weeks and Fatal Attraction followed. Then Jacob's Ladder, then Indecent Proposal, Lolita and Unfaithful. And he went off um, and did other things for about 20 years. Uh, He did come back recently with a very, very underappreciated, not underappreciated, as in it's good, um, but apparently it's awful, film called Deep Water with Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas in it. But Jacob's Ladder was a film that everyone saw when I was at school and it became this trendy um psychedelic 60s sort of uh, post platoon and pre the sixth sense sort of film uh which was a sort of horror twisty horror film and ended up being hugely influential on a lot of what would come after particularly the movies of m night Shyamalan, Shyamalan. i've never managed to say it correct but movies like The Sixth Sense, where there's this sort of um, otherworldly dread, where the characters exist in this netherworld, and um, the movie, uh, the video game series Silent Hill, it became extremely influential. And it's like Tim Robbins' other more successful film, uh, The Shawshank Redemption, had a similar arc which was that it was a reasonable but mild success on release, but then sort of generated this latent cult status. And the fact that it was deemed a little bit of a failure on release uh, in cinematic terms, I don't think's fair, because if you look at this film, how the hell it made any money at all, is completely baffling. It is extremely challenging fair, and uh, left my nerves shredded. But it's also really quite profound, and it moved me a lot more than I expected, even though I was extremely happy that it finished. The the sort of final third on it, everything sort of came together and calm, calmed down and became a lot more sort of beautific. And um, uh, it's, a, it's a film about um, Tim Robbins, who is a postman, and it starts in Vietnam, and his troop in Vietnam were under, uh, are all doing the usual sitting around talking crap about each other sort of routine and then they come under attack. But when they come under attack, all of his troops start having convulsions and all these weird things happening to them. Um, and it jumps forward in time and, and you see that he gets stabbed in the stomach quite badly and it jumps forward in time. Tim Robbins is living with a wonderful Elizabeth Pena uh, and in New York, and he's a postman, he's a doctor in something or other, he's got a PhD, but Vietnam has left him shattered, and we pull the pieces together that he's sort of been seeing psychiatrists post-Vietnam and doesn't want to think anymore. 
Um, and the opening scene with him is is a harbinger of the nightmare world that he lives in, which is he has a very strange occurrence on a train coming home from his postman job in the early hours of the morning where a couple of weird things happen on the train. And when he gets off at the station, he finds the station is all locked up. And he almost dies trying to get out of the station and makes it back home to his uh, long-suffering uh, girlfriend, wonderful performance by Elizabeth Pena there as Jezebel. And the rest of the movie is these events happening to him which are psychedelic and nightmarish and surreal, increasing, and he feels like he's being chased by people, um, falling into sort of schizophrenia and paranoia. And um, the... The underlying thing that is going through his mind, particularly when other members of his troop in Vietnam come to him, is that that day of the attack, something was going on. And they come to the conclusion that they were being given um, some form of medication or drugs by the army, which was leading them to now, years later, suffer these traumatic events in their lives. He goes to see a psychiatrist that he's been seeing for years and finds out the psychiatrist was killed in a likely car bomb. And then another one of his troop comes to see him in a bar and his car's blown up with him in it as well, leading to them approaching um, George Costanza as a lawyer to try and find out. Like One of the weirdest things in this film uh, given how nightmarish a lot of it is at the start, it's like really, really nightmarish, is him holding up a picture of his kid who'd been killed uh, in a car accident. A car had run his child over in the street. And he's Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> and like Macaulay Culkin's in this film and you just like spend the whole time looking at Macaulay Culkin going, what the hell? Because he's left, his, his uh, wife has left him and it's inferred that their relationship broke down in a large part to their son being killed and now he's with his new girl and so on and then he has these sort of back and forth dreams where he's actually back with his old wife um and uh, he's sort of um uh, there's a part in the film where you're kind of like wondering actually is he with his old wife and he's dreamt so he wakes up in the middle of the night bathed in sweat and he's you know, I dreamt I was with the Elizabeth Pena girl and that we'd split up and all of this. And then, then then he's back with her and it's all very, very nightmarish and surreal and destabilizing mentally and traumatic to watch. Um, this is, I thought, a, a, an amazing film. It didn't get very, it didn't get brilliant reviews, but it became a cult film. And I kind of think for the wrong reasons. I kind of feel like it became a cult film in the way that The Sixth Sense did. But The Sixth Sense doesn't have any wider philosophical meaning for me. It's really just a almost a whodunit. Um, but here I found the movie to be unexpectedly soulful and profound. Um, it's a mediation on us going towards death. I hope I've got the... Um, I wonder if I've got the quote. Because there's a quote in the, in the movie that is really actually moving... I'll keep looking for it. It shot wonderfully well. I think Adrian Lin's mood, uh, the mood that he creates here, really is sort of redolent to a New York 
of something almost like the French Connection. It's really nicely shot. Um, it's hard to watch because he's it's him losing his mind and it's quite clear that he's losing his mind, but it builds up to this sort of twin story. One is of him losing the plot and losing his mind, and the other is of what the American military did to uh, in Vietnam and a lot of the more clandestine things that they've done that um, haven't really been acknowledged enough. But there, there's a quote in it from a wonderful Daniel Aiolo performance. Um, he's brilliant. He shows up towards the end with uh, a, a quote, uh, the only thing that burns in hell is a part of you that won't let go of life, your memories, your attachments. They burn them all away, but they're not punishing you, he said. They're freeing your soul. So if you're frightened of dying, you're holding on. You'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. I was unexpectedly nearly in tears at the end of this film. It becomes a very sort of beautiful meditation on accepting death. And it's unexpectedly powerful. Um, I think this is a really underrated film. It had so many things pulling in different directions. You know, the notion of someone losing their mind, the notion of a massive government cover-up, um, the notion of dealing with death and relationships and, the, you know, the death of his son. Tim Robbins is wonderful in the role. He often plays roles where he's a little bit quiet and doesn't really seem to do much, but... He's a lot more sort of emotionally animated here than he is in the in the Shawshank Redemption, and I thought it was very interesting because I, I left the film like both feeling the emotional impact, the philosophical impact, and also uh, being fascinated by um, what the American government did to their soldiers, and apparently it um, was influential on a very famous CNN documentary from the end of the 90s which resulted in a huge court case and it was about the american military going into laos which was illegal they weren't even at war in laos and initially it was reported that they'd gone into this valley subsequently called the valley of death and accidentally come across this cache of all this information and in trying to get out they needed lots of, of air support and everything because they became under attack from a lot of the uh, Lao forces that were sort of on side with the Vietnamese, uh, North Vietnamese. And it sort of came, CNN made this documentary because it came out, I think it was Operation Tailwind or something like that, that there's this whole um, counter espionage part of the American military that does really weird stuff, very Manchurian candidate stuff. And that the documentary claimed that basically the American military had gone in there because there was a massive camp of deserted American GIs that they then used sarin gas on, which is mind-blowing stuff. And even though CNN ended up having to retract everything they said, the upshot was that, that it was broadly true. Um, and I think that this film sort of points to the fact that the, there are these clandestine parts of the American military that do a lot of weird psychological stuff with drugs on their own soldiers and on civilian populations. They killed hundreds of children and uh, civilians with sarin gas during this attack, which is against all the international law. 
But that's one side of this fascinating film. And it sort of led me off down these rabbit holes to read up stuff that's pretty well established. But the other is about his character and, and the idea and notion of acceptance of a death you can't avoid. Uh, and it ends in really, it's like the, the mundanity of the final scene as well is, is quite amazing. I saw this as an incredible film, much more than the sum of its parts. It doesn't deserve to be sidelined as some sort of supernatural psychological thriller. It's a lot more profound than that. So I'm going to give Jacob's Ladder, and I warn you, if you found like films like Uncut Gems anxiety-inducing to watch, this is, this is up there. Uh, it's a difficult film to get through. It does give you relief in the final quarter. Um, it's got a lot of soul in that final quarter, which I found quite revelatory and actually very moving. Like I said, it almost moved me to tears, which I didn't expect or sign up for, and I didn't sign up for the, the hell of going through it to get there either. So I'm going to give Jacob's Ladder a 9 out of 10. I thought it was a really strong film.